When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. Hello, my name is Orlando Murrin and I'm hosting the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. Today we have with us a very special guest, Victoria Priva, and we're talking about a subject that I'm really looking forward to learning about, which is Passover. But before we launch, Victoria, I want to ask Tom whether you've ever been to a Passover ceremony, a Passover dinner, or whether you're as curious as I am about this. I have never, ever been, and I'm very, very curious. Many questions, Orlando. Well, I'm now going to hand over to Victoria. First of all, Victoria, tell us a little bit about yourself and then please help us to understand all about Passover from the food point of view, but but from the ceremonial point of view as well. And you're obviously talking to two people who are very interested and very ignorant. (laughs) Not ignorant at all, I'm sure. Um, So uh, I'm the food editor at the Jewish Chronicle newspaper. I've been there for 10 years uh, I'm also a freelance food writer and a chef. And yeah, I've learned an awful lot. I'm, I'm Jewish, obviously, but I've learned an awful lot about Jewish food in the time I've been at the JC, even more than uh, I knew before. So there's a huge amount to talk about Passover. It's one of the biggest festivals in our calendar. It happens springtime every year. It moves slightly according to the moon, really. We follow the lunar calendar. So it's it, like Easter, it moves backwards and forwards uh, around March and April. And this year it's starts uh, mid-April and all our festivals start the night before. So at sundown the night before is when everything kicks off. Passover commemorates um, when the children of Israel were kicked out of Egypt and they left in such a hurry they didn't have time for their bread to rise. So um, for eight days, the time that they were in the desert crossing over to get out of Egypt to Israel, we abstain from anything that's uh, leavened Uh, biscuits, cakes, bread, anything with flour in that can ferment, pasta. Ashkenazi Jews, who are the Jews who come from Eastern Europe, also don't eat beans and lentils and peas. uh, They're called kitniot, all those sorts of foods, because they may have been, once upon a time, confused with a grain. Um, Sephardi Jews who are from the Middle East are much luckier. They get to eat rice and beans and that sort of thing. So we abstain from those foods for eight days. And at the beginning of the festival, we have a Seder ceremony, which is to commemorate the the departure from Egypt. And that's huge fun. Um, You'll have big groups of families, which has been very strange in the last couple of years because we haven't been able to be together. Um, But big groups of people get together and we run through this sort of service with um, a a special plate, Seder plate of food. Um, We drink wine, we tell the stories, we sing songs. And it's the same order every year. And Jews outside of Israel do two nights of this, two nights running, and after the ceremony, you have a big meal. This is this is Passover in a nutshell. Um, you're welcome to ask as we go along, or we can go back to, to bits to ask more. Um, 
And what do we do then? So we do our ceremony, we have a big meal. And then for the eight days, we we don't eat anything of, of that sort of food. What does a big meal kind of consist of? Is it like going into hibernation? Are you trying to eat as much food as possible? because yeah. it, 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 it... <laughs> It's gone by then. You see, what you do before Passover comes in, you clear your house of all those sorts of foods, which are called chomets. That's the word for them. Um, everything like that has to leave the house. And you literally... Many people clean out their kitchens, make sure there's nothing in the house of that sort of food. So that meal is the first time you're eating, uh, although if you've cleaned out, you might have not been eating that sort of food prior, but that's the first meal that's all the, your proper Passover food, all the Passover goodies come in. And you buy in all food that's specially kosher for Passover. So Jewish dietary rules, you don't eat milk and meat in the same meal. So you'll have very religious Jews will have a milk set, a, a meat set of cutlery plates and crock pots and pans, but they'll also have a third set for Passover. So they replace all of the usual crockery and cutlery and pans and things with Passover stuff. There's a big change. The meal, going back to that, is could be anything actually. By the time you eat, you're starving because you have um, spent, I don't know, two hours with this ceremony of, of doing all the bits and pieces. So by the time you eat, you're very hungry. It's good to cook something that's going to sit for a while because like, a, I don't know, like a, a brisket or something that's, that's, that's had lots of time to cook slowly and will also not worry about sitting a bit longer. That's a very nice meal. We'll often start with chicken soup and matzo balls because obviously the matzo balls are perfect. And I haven't explained why they're perfect because matzo is the only flour-based product that we would be able to eat. It's made very quickly. It's flour and water and salt. And it has to be made from start to finish, mixing it up, rolling it out, baking it in under 18 minutes. So is that, is that because then it has no chance for any sort of ferment? Yes. Exactly. Right. There's some calculation that that's what it would have taken for it to, to ferment. So, I mean, we, we tend to buy it now. It's sheet rolled and you, know, you buy sheets of it, but you, you can buy the, the hand rolled matzah. Um, so matzah meal is ground up matzah. And we eat a lot of that over Passover, matzah meal based things. We should put in meatballs in the matzah balls in uh, to bread chicken, well, not bread chicken, but coat chicken with that sort of so thing. So that becomes its kind of like starchy carbohydrate, the thing that keeps people going, feel, feeling filled up whilst not breaking any Passover rules. Exactly. I'm amazed, Richard. I'm amazed at how different it is and, and how much there is going on there. And we're only, we've only just started the meal. But I've just got <laughs> one very urgent question, which is no fermentation. Does that mean no wine? No, funnily enough, you are allowed wine. I think because it's a grape that's fermented. So yes, wine is allowed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that fine. I, that's a relief. So that that was a preying on my mind, rather. Yes, and actually, you drink four cups of wine during the meal. That's part of the part of the service. Orlando, this sounds right up your street, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm I'm trying to take it all in because Victoria, this is a really big thing. I thought that when we were going to start talking today, we were going to say, like, oh, you can have this with the trimmings, and this is a nice dessert you can have with it. Whereas it's a whole deal where you're cleaning out the kitchen beforehand, yeah. and you've possibly got a different set of pots and pans, and it's and you've got it's the launch of eight. Eight whole days of eating differently. Yeah. So it's really major. Is it the most important food festival in the Jewish calendar? 
Food-wise, it's probably the biggest because the other festivals we do celebrate with lovely dishes, um, like the New Year, uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, one you don't eat. But there are lovely foods around them, but they're not quite, there's not as much involved in preparing for them. So I would say, yeah, Passover is probably our biggest in terms of, of upheaval and change and different foods. And you mentioned that the families and friends group together. So it's a it's a big occasion. Yeah. Is it like, like American Thanksgiving or like a British old-fashioned Christmas? Yes, that sort yes, of thing. Exactly so that. How how many people would typically be gathered around a table? Uh, you get sort of um Seder offs, I think, how big your Seder is. People say how, you know, that we've got 30 or 20 or or 40, you know, a lot of people, you'll bring in a trestle table and you'll have big rows of people sitting down. We just go with the slightly extended family, probably 12 at the most, but um, a lot of people. It's a mass catering event and it's fun because the service is a lot of fun. It's a lovely thing to all do together. So it's not the Day of Atonement always sounds rather um, hard and uh, difficult. Atonement isn't isn't a jolly thing whereas this is jolly is it why is it why is it jolly when it started with a kind of um, uh, urgent exodus in an an emergency situation it's a celebration of freedom it's a celebration of of being free the getaway exactly fantastic and so everyone's in a good mood and they they're they're all stoical about the fact they've got eight days when they can't just eat what they want yeah they're they're all used to do they bring gifts along and dress up um and what time does it start <laughs> so many questions. Yeah, yeah. Orlando's waiting for his invite. He likes he 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 to know what he's got to wear. Has he got to dress up? Does he need to bring gifts? And what time should he be there? I, I don't know whether I'd be welcome, but everyone is welcome. Do you know what? I was thinking yesterday because I've been thinking about it a bit in the run up to talking to you that it's such a lovely thing to introduce non Jewish friends too because it really is very colourful it's a lot of fun it's very warm it's a bit of a learning thing going on and it, it's just a lovely way to to have people around and to be hospitable um so really everyone is welcome and I do know when I've spoken to I interview a lot of Israeli chefs for instance and, and they may not practice very much religion but all these foodie festivals they'll do and they'll often with their staff celebrate Passover, like they'll have a Passover meal and show them all the bits and pieces and what they do. And they'll do that with a lot of the festivals. So it's really nice to to, to include people and, and, I don't know, share our customs. So people would bring, for me, it's all family coming. My mother-in-law brings cinnamon balls, which are the most delicious biscuits. I'm going to be um, sharing a recipe for those. Um, uh, they're the ones that we're going to talk about yeah. in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, all, all the the women, it is the women, to, uh, you know, bring something. So we'll agree beforehand what which foods they're going to bring. I haven't had many non-family guests, so I don't know. They might bring a bottle of wine or something, but um, there are no rules. It's um, designed to be quite casual too. It's there's a part of the service that talks about why we're allowed to slouch today when we're not meant to on any other day. It's a sort of anything goes day. So we would probably dress up because you would do like for you know if you're getting together for a, a special family meal, um, like Christmas or something, you you would be smarter. But you don't have to. You could go in pajamas if you want. It, it doesn't matter. And and what time do people arrive? 
<laughs> Tom really does think that I'm angling for an invitation. <laughs> every, every time you open your mouth, it just sounds like that. <laughs> well, I can definitely bring wine. I can definitely, what time shall I be there? <laughs> well, I haven't got the date in my diary yet. What date are we this year? Uh, 15th of April. 15th of April. The right. evening of the 15th of April, which happens to be a Friday. Um, is that? Uh, is it always a Friday or is it no, just happen? No, it, it can just, be any day of the week. Yeah. It moves around again. So, right. Why uh, does yeah. it move? What what is it? What are the circumstances that it moves? Well, it's like Easter, um, because our calendar is different to the, the the modern calendar. It follows the cycles of the moon. So yeah. each year, yeah, it moves up and down. Because, because Easter's dependent on the moon as well. That moves around because of the moon. So they're both moving in, probably moving in different directions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it starts. At, it actually comes in at sundown, the on the fifteenth. Um, yeah. So the first day is the 16th, but the first night would be sundown. You'd kick everything off. And is it complicated because the following day is the Sabbath or do you not do yes, the Sabbath? Yes, that would. That would. Um, I have to admit it, it. You know, we we are not as religious as some, so that for me it's not a personal issue, but it will cause some issues for people who will have had to do an awful lot of preparation. They'll have had to prepare for their Seder. And then on the Saturday, you're not allowed to do any work. You're not meant to cook. Or light a flame so they would have had to have prepared all the food for the next day as well because they then can't do anything and in fact there are two seder nights so i should have double checked this but i think and there's a couple of days of not being able to do anything because it's the the hug the the actual festival so yeah there's a lot involved in preparing well it when people are listening to this, um, our lovely public, if people want to write in and tell us what they're doing on their Passover, we'd love to hear. I'd love to know more about the types of food, because for me, Jewish cuisine is some of the most amazing. And it's something that I wasn't very clued up o- uh, about until, funny enough, I did uh, I, I did a, a traveling thing for a, a television program where I went around the States. And the connection to Jewish cuisine in America, that Eastern European where the immigrants had moved to America, that food that's infiltrated all the way through American cuisine has just been absolutely outstanding, particularly in big places like Pittsburgh, you know, the steel city where there's that, uh, there was that kind of huge amount of uh, industrial landscape that changed Uh, the food and it's still there and hugely celebrated. And it's really is part of the, the, I suppose the, the fundamental fabric of what makes up great cooking in in the, that part of the states. Yeah, I think yeah, there, there's a bigger influence of of the, the Ashkenazi Eastern European Jewish cuisine in the states. Um, probably there's a lot bigger population, but um, on the food of the ceremony, there's there's some staple foods that we that everyone will have, whether they're where wherever they're from. The seder plate will look pretty much the same. Because we only got as far as the chicken soup, really, didn't yes. we? And then we then we all joined in and wanted. <laughs> we couldn't wait to pitch in at that point. <laughs> well, actually, before the chicken soup, we've got the Seder plate. And um, on the Seder plate, there are different things that are part of the service. So there is some salt water, which symbolizes the tears. There's a burnt egg, which I now can't think what it symbolizes. symbolic of um, fertility in life, I think. There is a lamb shank bone which I also, I think that was to do with the cooking before they left. There's some matzah, there are bitter herbs to symbolise the, like, the bitter taste of, um, you know, of being in slavery. 
there's something called haroset, which is delicious. And it's, um, it's my favorite thing. In fact, I make extra of it and I eat it during the, the Pesach because it's really nice. I'll, it's chopped up nuts and fruits and it's meant to symbolize the cement that was in the pyramids. And there's a whole book about it I, I wrote about in the last couple of years ago. But um, different people make it in different ways and it will depend where in the diaspora they were from. So the Ashkenazi one is, is apples, red wine and nuts and cinnamon. And you chop everything up finely and, and serve it, you know, as a paste. You might have dates and raisins and dried apricots, um, prunes, all different things through it, depending on where you're from. There's a one with banana in, all different versions of this lovely paste. So I, I keep it and I'll put it on yogurt and whatever else after we've had our service. But it's utterly delicious. So, so the other stuff on the plate, you don't eat all the other things. No. So, so it's a ceremony, but this particular thing, you you dive in and eat this. Yes. And you also eat the bitter herbs. You'll have a little bit of matzo with the bitter herbs. You'll have the set on matzo. You'll have, you'll dip parsley and salt water so there's different parts of the service where you eat the things on the cedar plate but you don't right. eat that egg and you don't eat the lamb shank bone what are bitter herbs are they are they things you buy or are they uh, oh um we, we use a horseradish so we'll buy a horseradish root and just use shavings of that but it's interesting because um some people just use a lettuce some people use rocket um and once upon a time lettuce was much more bitter than it was than it is now and I think you can get that bitterness from if you cut you know the liquid that comes off the end of like a little gem or something is quite bitter so they would have just used a lettuce leaf uh, at times as well they're all big quite punchy flavors there that you're talking about all very very strong yes yes and it's quite nice I end up with this horseradish root left which I then sort of grate into things and I'm using like over the over the week perfect with beef brisket very nice, very nice. <laughs> and also grated into like like to make a fish pate or something, but a mackerel, you know, whiz it up with some sour cream is also... I, I love fresh horseradish and I love the fact that it makes me cry when I grate it. Yeah. <laughs> that, shows it, that shows it's the real thing, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> or you can do, I do it in the... In the processor as well. And when you take the lid off the processor, you go, wham, it hits you. You kind of faint the, the smell of it is marvelous stuff isn't it i didn't know that that was part of your ceremony yeah, eating it raw it goes right up your nose fresh wasabi is amazing as well if you can get hold of the little fresh wasabi root great that Those oh yeah stuff. it's beautiful you, they grow it, you can grow it in this country as well you can get english and british uh, yeah in hampshire the there's a wasabi yeah. farm now isn't there yeah, yeah it's amazing may really punchy really peppery very very strong and you could eat those that. leaves. You could have those leaves on 15th of April, Victoria, yes, couldn't you? Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll hook you up with the wasabi growers of Hampshire. They'll be very excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after that, we've got the chicken soup of, after the the, the plate, the seba plate. Did you call it? Seder. S-E-D-E-R. It means order. Seder plate. Okay. And actually, before your chicken soup, some people then, and it's a lot of, uh, I don't know again if it's Eastern European or, or why this we do this, but we'll start the meal. We'll have a bowl of salt water, not too salty, and there's some hard-boiled egg that crumbled into it, uh, and mozza crumbled on the top. And we eat that. <laughs> it's very comforting, oddly. Maybe it's because I've been eating it since I was a child. Yeah, that sounds like that doesn't sound like something that I would necessarily put together <laughs> as good. This starts like a celebration of the, the start of a celebration. <laughs> Maybe it's a penance. Who knows? But that that's an odd custom that you know a lot of people do. So then you move into the the good stuff, the chicken soup with your matzo balls. Um, I might make a chicken tray bake as my main course. 
uh, the different vegetables, there'll be potatoes, obviously no other of the carbs. No thickeners, okay. But the potatoes would would thicken it a bit, I guess, wouldn't they? Yes, or, you know, I'm roast up my potatoes, whatever. But lots of, and what's quite nice is that, especially with Passover being into April this year, you can lots of nice spring colours and chop herbs through, you know, the potato dish or use things in in your your tray bake. So it's really nice to have a bit of colour. And does it come out in courses, uh, like a traditional meal? So you yeah. get this, and then yeah. you get that, and then you, you get your chicken tray bake. Yeah, lovely. yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot of people have been doing this service for so long, they're eating it at sort of 10 o'clock at night and exhausted. But we rush throughout a bit. What have they been doing all the time in order to not to eat their dinner till 10 o'clock? Um, there's a, a, a set service and different songs commemorating, uh, celebrating the freedom. There's... Uh, a child asks the questions of why are we doing things like this tonight? Why why are we doing it differently? Oh, do you have to have a child along, an obligatory child? Yeah, it, uh, if it's not a child, it's to be the youngest person at the table, they ask. Um, oh, there could be some argument about that, couldn't yeah. there? <laughs> <laughs> My children should do it, but they're always a bit reluctant. But uh, it's called the Manish Tana. It's a, a Hebrew series of questions that they sing. And then there's other songs. So there's a, a lot of different stages of this Seder service. Uh, which is what takes so long. And you don't have you don't have a professional present, therefore you don't have a rabbi present or anything. What no. do, do rabbis have their own rabbi get-togethers, or what, do they just get invited around to a, a favourite family or something? I don't. Or do they know. have their own? Um, I, they probably are with their own families, I guess. Well, this would be something for someone to write into us about from the BBC Good Food Together group. Yeah. Um, what, what rabbis do at Passover? <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can all learn about this, can't we? Um, and then, do you have a dessert? Mm, so the, again, this, there'll be a, maybe a dessert off with all the different mums bringing a different dessert. But obviously, it's it's flourless, popular desserts. I'm trying to think what we make. We make all sorts of things. So uh, pavlova, perhaps. Yeah. Um, if you've eaten meat, you wouldn't have a dairy topping on your pavlova. But um, if you've had a fish main course, you you could do. Oh, so you could could you have fish soup and fish main course? Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. It's completely yeah. down to you. you. Might have a big salmon. I, my husband doesn't eat meat, so we might have some some salmon, baked salmon. So um, yeah, it just varies. So you can have fish and meat. You can have fish and meat. Well, you actually, no, no. You're not meant to eat fish and meat together. That's another dietary rule. But again. Judaism is a bit of a pick and mix in terms of the dietary rules in that some people follow all the rules and some people follow some of the rules. So it's maybe with lots of religions that people sort of pick and choose the bits that they follow. But strictly, um, like you wouldn't use anchovy seasoning with lamb, for instance, um, if you're cooking a kosher meat meal, because that's not kosher. Yeah. And you you wouldn't have milk with meat generally, and really not at Passover. So not ever. Uh, and would you have milk milk with fish? Yes, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So if you've had, so if you've had a fish if you've had a fish main course, you could have an amazing pavlova with loads of whipped cream. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's flourless chocolate cakes. The chocolate thing with the melting middle is quite oftenly done in a in a flourless form. Yeah. Isn't it? The chocolate fondant. fondant. You you. Uh, uh, how is that doing at your restaurants these days, 
Tom, because it was a huge thing 15 years ago. And I wondered whether it was ever going to wear out because yeah. it is rather wonderful. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, it, it's one of those things that will always exist, a bit like creme brulee, you know, as a dessert, something that people, like, a bit like pavlova, a bit like, you know, there's something that people always recognize and always want. So uh, a chocolate fondant, I mean, a warm chocolate pudding that's gooey and, and liquidy in the middle. I mean, it's just delicious. It's so, you know, everybody knew it in the 90s. It suddenly made a, this kind of appearance on menus and it's been with us now nearly 30 years it's it's one of those things that will always be there i think because it's such a beautiful thing to do and it, it and it's one of those things that make you feel special i think the addition to it now it's evolved you now get salt caramel with it that's the thing yeah, <laughs> yeah and dry ice around it and yeah pop, <laughs> popping candy ice cream yeah. you probably do some very thrilling things with it don't you tom no we, to be honest if we do it if we do a version of it it's always trying to keep it as simple as possible and just try to make the best version of it like sticky toffee pudding or like whatever you always just try to make sure that it's one of those classics that's looked after cooked properly and just makes everybody happy but yeah the, the versions that we have the recipes that we have are flourless they're, they're flourless versions uh-huh. So you haven't changed it at all. It's the recipe, same recipe you've always been. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a recipe that I picked up from somewhere in the 90s when I was a much younger chef and Lovely. probably st- and stuck with us ever since. Well, that you can be serving that on the 15th of April, Victoria, can't you? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also things, um, I sometimes serve this, uh, mili- I call it millionaire's matzo, but it's like um, uh, millionaire's Shortbread. biscuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, so I just make a caramel that um, I layer over this uh, pieces of matzo, put it in the oven just to, to finish cooking the caramel off, bring it out, shower it with chocolate drops, and then they'll melt slightly, spread them over, and then leave it to cool. And it turns into the most delicious treat, just snap. So if you snap it up, so little bits of matzo covered in chocolate and toffee is really, really good. Cool, that sounds great. Another treat. And we and make a you know, load of different Passover biscuits. And are, they, are the Passover biscuits served on their own or with tea and coffee? However you want to eat them. But yeah, with They're with just tea. lying around loads of, loads yeah, of wonderful yeah. I can't have them it. in the house because, I, well, I, they, they go too fast, but they're really <laughs> delicious. So how are the Passover biscuits made if there's not so much flour in it? What's the ingredient that holds it together? Nuts. They tend to be nut-based. Okay, so it's all like ground almonds and exactly. that, that kind of, Right, okay. Exactly. Lovely. I'm going to ask you a bit more about your family in a moment, uh, Victoria, but can you talk us through your recipe for chewy almond macaroon biscuits, which is on the Good Food website? And that's the, well, it's the cinnamon balls. It's, um, it's kind of two recipes in one, I think. It's, it's one recipe that you can take in two different directions, I think. Exactly, exactly. No, it just occurred to me that when I was um, looking at the, the macaroon recipe that the, the, t- with a very small tweak, it could become the cinnamon balls. Um, they both aren't ground almond based, ground almonds and egg whites, maybe a pinch of salt and lots of caster sugar. And that is it for the almond biscuits. Mix it all together and uh, you know, shape it and bake it with a blanched almond on the top. Do you do you roll, roll and cut? No, with that? no, no. You no. scoop them out, roll them in your hands and then flatten them to a, a disc. Right. They're so easy. Like children, children do help make them. They're very, very easy. They sound like they're the lovely ones that when you bake them and cook them, they've still got a slightly chewy middle. Is that right? Yeah, delicious. Very much so. Like old-fashioned macaroons. Before we got macaron, we used exactly. to have macaroons with those lovely chewy things. Exactly, they? exactly. They're lovely. And then at the beginning of the process, if you just chuck in a tablespoon of cinnamon into that mixture, get it all the way through. You then uh, to bake it, you roll them into balls, literally. 
Um, they bake like that. Again, really lovely and chewy in the middle. But as soon as they come out the oven, you put them warm into a bowl of icing sugar. And so they look like little snowballs. So they cool off in the icing sugar and they are super delicious. They sound incredible. <laughs> and they stay round. They stay round because yeah. you don't flat just because you don't flatten yeah. them. Yeah, leave them round. round. They stay that. They sit like that. I and mean, they, they could not be more simple. Really, really easy recipe to do. And you've you've mentioned you've got you've got a couple of children. I do. How old are they? They are now thirteen and eleven. And do they look forward to Passover? They look forward to some of Passover. <laughs> <laughs> do they look forward to the singing the singing bits? I'd be so self conscious if I had to sing in front of my family. Yeah. No one would want to hear me. Tommy, you a singer? Do you, do people like listening to you? Only at football matches. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they don't enjoy it, I have to say. And I remember as a, as a young person not loving that part of the... And I was never the youngest, so it was okay. Um, luckily, my daughter likes a bit of the spotlight, but they're still a little bit reluctant, I think, because it's Hebrew that they're meant to be singing in, and that's a bit much. Do they have to memorise it as well, or are they allowed to read it? Read oh, they it can read the, it. They can they read can it. But read. They're, we, they're a phonetic version, so you can read it that way. Victoria, would you like to demonstrate one of these songs for us now? No. <laughs> what an absolute stitcher that is. And, so, and I tell you what, Orlando, that then, that's your invite rescinded. Yeah. You're not getting the invite. That's yeah. it. That's it. Doesn't matter how much wine you bring or flourless chocolate cake. Yeah. You've just you've just done yourself there, mate. It's off my list. <laughs> you've you've built yourself up for that, Victoria. I'm afraid you've got me all excited about the singing and the ceremony and all the jollity of it. And now I'm being cheated of it because you won't you won't get me in the mood. Anyway. Well, you can come to my house for Passover and I'll sing to you then. Oh, that's enormously <laughs> kind of you. Um, this has been so interesting. Um, after the atonement, is there another one? another festival that's as jolly as this that we could talk to about another time oh there are loads well hanukkah's lovely hanukkah is all about um oil when it when is hanukkah oh it's not till december but we've got before that shavuot which is all about cheesecake and we've got well dairy foods and what have we got we have got hanukkah yeah which is december and that's oil because um a miraculous light burned for eight days and so we fry everything we eat donuts and latkes and um shared gold coins chocolate coins so they've all got their very distinct atmospheres yeah tom is there anything else that you want to know about jewish food because it sounds like a, a very a rich resource that i i don't know much about and i'm going to find out more yeah about. no it is it's such, such a huge um and wonderful subject like my eyes were really open to it about four or five years ago once i started doing a little bit more travel in the states and started realizing that the fundamentals of Jewish cuisine, the the flavors, the style of cooking, the 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 process, the way that beautiful slow cooked foods that develop flavor. We all know that. We all know that braising and slow cooking that you know develops flavors. But how that's so deep rooted and and in so many other kind of cuisines or parts of the world that that understanding of uh, and the process and the celebratory fact that i mean if you were here in victoria then there was so many different different times of the year oh we celebrated cheesecake then and we celebrate <laughs> it and, like, and, and how magical i mean you know compared to us you know we have turkey at christmas and, and, and a bit of chocolate at easter and apart from that you don't really there isn't really a something i mean it, what an amazing cuisine and what a brilliant sort of way of celebrating it through food it's just you know for me it's 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 fantastic and to understand how how it's so spread out throughout the world and even if you're not jewish in any way 
you have that understanding. Jewish cuisine has touched you and hit you in in so many different places because of the the flavors and the way that it does and the way that it's kind of integrated through society. It's, I think it's it's a magical cuisine. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. You've been a marvellous guest. Thank you. Um, you've kept us entertained, but also you've opened our eyes to new things. So enormous thanks. And do I say happy Passover? Yes, the Hebrew is Hag Sameach Passover, which means happy festival Passover. Oh, that sounds so beautiful. Say it again for me now. Hag Sameach Passover. And the same to you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to be brave then, Orlando, yeah. but you swerved it. You swerved it. <laughs> oh, that was lovely. Thank you so much, Victoria. And um, happy Passover to everyone listening. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. For more brilliant cooking advice, don't miss the quick bonus recipe episode. Let's cook together. See you next time. There you are. <laughs> That's it. <laughs>